thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, guys, we're continuing, or actually we're starting this series that we called Life Happens, Choose Joy. Now, really, you don't have to be alive for very long to realize that. Life doesn't always end up the way you thought it should or the way you wanted it. Many of us have woken up one day and we thought our life was going to, the day was going to look this way. At the end of the day, we thought, I didn't see that one coming. Anyone ever experienced that? Well, that's, we believe that you can actually choose joy in the midst of life circumstances that aren't always the best. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians for the next, actually three weeks total, that, that God wrote through Paul. And in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which was a city in Greece, nestled in the, in the hillside of Greece, but also was a very wealthy, rich city, he started this church, Paul planted this church, and now he's writing this letter, but this is what's happening. Paul is in Rome. He's just not hanging out there visiting the Vatican. He's actually there in prison. He's, the Vatican didn't exist back then, just so you know. I was just clarifying that real quick. So some of you go, I didn't know. Anyway, he's in Rome. He's in prison. And he picks up a, a pen and some paper. And he begins to write a letter to this church in Philippi. And he begins to thank them for financial gifts that he's given them. He's thanking them for their prayers, for their support, for their love, and all these things. It's the most personal book in the Bible. And we're going to be reading in just a moment. But here's the reality. The word joyful, the word glad, the word enjoy, the word rejoice, words like happy and happiness... These words are used in various forms all through the book. Actually, 17 times within this short little book. It's the happiest book in the Bible. And what I believe about Christians is we should actually be the happiest people on the planet. I actually believe that. Amen. You should be happy. But really the series is recognizing this whole thing is that joy is a choice. Most people think that joy is a response to good things, and now I have joy. But actually, it's, it's, a, it's a real choice. It's a decision we make in the, in, the, in the core of who we are. I'm going to be joyful. And God wants to equip us by his grace through this series to have joy in every situation. So for us, this question to all of us here today is, what, what would it take for you to have more joy? And immediately you start thinking this. Well, it maybe it start with if I had more money, I'd have more joy. If I had more of what I wanted, I'd have more joy. If I had a different house, if, uh, it, you know, if, if, I did, if I went to a different church, maybe I'd have more joy. Um, whatever it may be. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe if you had different relationships or maybe you're married. And you think, if I had more affection in my marriage, if there was more sex in my marriage, if there's more this in my marriage, if there's more money in my marriage, then I'd be really joyful. If I had more time, if I had more attention, if things went the way I wanted them to go, then I could have joy. What would you start with? Because the moment when I asked you that question, everyone, everyone thought, well, if I had this, if this wasn't wrong in my life, then I would have joy. But Paul comes out of the gate in this book, and he begins to speak about something that impacts every single one of us in this room. And Paul starts with this idea of relationships. 
Relationships affect every person in this room. That's just how it is. You can't go through life without relationships. But here's the other reality. Relationships are difficult. You might say, you know, I'd love my church if there weren't people there. If there wasn't so many people there, I'd like it. Life happens and things happen in relationships. And we can spend our whole lives, and it happens all the time, ejecting from relationships. Like, well, that it, well there's this friction. I'm out of here. Or we can live, spend our whole lives living in, the, in a home that feels like an, an ice box. Or we can, we can travel the road of our lives that can be littered with shells of relationships that are, remind, that are a reminder of when something happened, we chose to be offended instead of choosing joy in that relationship. Happens all the time. Relationships matter. And it's impossible to have a deep sense of joy in your heart and your life while your relationships are full of friction, full of offense, full of frustration, full of like angst down deep in, your, in, your, in the gut of your stomach. And I believe the most significant influence on our joy is relationships. I really do. You can meet all kinds of people and they can have all kinds of money, fame, power, position. It doesn't matter. They can have it all. They could be on the in crowd and they could, you might think they have joy. But if you're in the middle of a divorce, there's not a whole lot of joy going on. Or if you're at odds with people, there's not a whole lot of joy going on. If you're at odds with loved one, if you're at odds with friends, if your relationships are void of joy, now listen to this, the life that God has for you will never be reached if you do not have joy in your relationships. It's just reality. And so I want to talk today in what I believe Paul lays out so incredibly in the beginning of this book, finding joy in our relationships. In the first 11 verses of, of Philippians God's telling us through Paul how we can have healthy, joy-filled relationships. He's describing, Paul's describing his relationships with the church in Philippi. And he gives us four keys to healthy relationships. So let's begin, and I'll read this for us this morning, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his introduction. Then he starts laying out these keys of healthy relationships. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That you would abound more and more in love, more and more in knowledge and the depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. So these four relational keys Paul's talking about. Here's a guarantee to you. I guarantee this. I guarantee it. If you will just practice these four keys we're going to look at. Your relationships will be more enjoyable and your joy will be greater. That's a big guarantee. But I promise you, I believe it with all of my heart, 
That as you apply the Word of God into your personal lives, that there will be breakthrough in areas you never thought you could do it on your own power. God wants to help you, and He's going to help you this morning. Now, these things I'm going to look at, they're easy to explain. They're easy to talk about. They're easy to, they're easy to mention. But here's the disclaimer. They are hard to do. They're very hard to do. But if you, if you follow them, your relationships will be transformed. So the first key is this. How to find joy in your relationship is number one that we learn from Paul is be thankful for people in your life. Many studies link this whole idea of gratitude and thankfulness with happiness and joy. It's been proven over and over by, by psychologists and sociologists and others that the more thankful you are, the more happy you are. It's, it's, at, it's directly linked. The more ungrateful you are, the more unhappy you are. So if you want to have good relationships, this is the first step. You start by th being thankful for those relationships. And you will enjoy relation relationships more if you make a decision to be thankful for people in your life. Paul starts off this way. Philippians 1.3, he says this, each time, or this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I think of you, every time your, your, your church crosses my mind, I thank God for you. Here's what's fascinating about when Paul wrote this in the story of this church in Philippi. It was one of the toughest church plants he ever did. And you don't see this in the letter. You don't hear this in the letter. The fact is when Paul went to the city to start the, the, the church, this is how he was greeted in the city. They beat the snot out of him. He was whipped. He was humiliated. He was falsely arrested. He was thrown into prison. And he went through, while he's in prison, he goes through an earthquake. Like some people be like, well, the Lord's will, it means I need to leave here. Paul just stuck it out, man. And then at the end of that, he was asked to leave the city by the city officials. And, and Paul, Paul says this, hey, I thank God every time I remember you. This is a simple truth right here that is the source of good relationships. Thanking God when you think about someone in your life. Matter of fact, when marriages stop doing this, they crumble. When you forget and stop remembering why you got married in the first place, what attracted you to that person, when you stop remembering the good times, when you stop being thankful for your mate and for the, for the person that God brought into your life. Here's, here's a side note, just, and I say this every once in a while. If you're sitting here this morning and say, yeah, but how do I know I'm married to the right person? This is the key. This is the, the, I'm telling you, this is how you know you're married to the right person. You get your marriage license out. <laughs> and you look at the name on there. And whatever name that says, you're, that's the right person right there. That's them. Amen to that? Good. All right. But if you stop being, th <laughs> when you stop being thankful for your mate, your marriage is already on a long slide downhill. When you stop remembering the good about your family, when you start, when you start thinking about the holidays and all of a sudden you get the, like, the 10-pound weight in your gut, uncle so-and-so is coming over, or i got to spend time with my in-laws, i got well, you know, whatever it may be. You're going to struggle in your relationships. When you stop remembering the good about your church, Remembering the good about your friendships. Things start declining down in your spirit and your heart. It's just a reality. And let me ask you a question, and we're just going to be honest this morning on some things. When you start thinking about people in your life, 
Is your first thought thankfulness? I'd say by how quiet it is, probably not. (laughs) It's usually something about what we don't like about them. Or it's what I need them to do or how I need them to change. Or I start thinking, well, you know, they're always late or they're always in a hurry or they're always this. Or we wish they were different. We wish we could change them. Most of the time, the first thing we think about a person is not a positive. It's actually a negative. That's usually what, what happens. So you, you, don't, you don't go through life and rehearse what is right with people in your life. You rehearse what is wrong with people in your relationships. This is the truth. And Paul says, when I think of you, the first thing I do is I give thanks for you. I'm grateful for who you are, he says. I'm grateful for, for what you've done in my life. And here's the issue with relationships. I don't know why it's true, but it just is. The longer you know someone, the, the closer you are, and the longer you know someone, you take them for granted. You begin to focus on their faults. You begin to focus on what's wrong. You fo- begin to focus on the bad times. You begin to remember all the things that are the negative. I don't know why it is. And you take them for granted in your life. And Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. He's given us this key for our relationships. If you would just develop this discipline, that whenever you think of people, your friends, your neighbors, your husband, your wife, your kids, your relatives, your pastor, first think this, I'm thankful for them. I'm so thankful. I'm telling you, it's going to change your relationships. This is the key to joyful or joy-filled relationships. And Paul's expressing his thanks here with his relationship with them. He's like opening his heart. He's just, he's pinning a letter in some stinky prison in Rome. I'm so thankful for you. Paul is remembering the beginning of the church and how when he first arrived there, there was this businesswoman, Lydia, that opened her home and invited him and his team in. And that, they, that's where they set up camp. That's a, and they built a church out of that home. He says, I'm thankful for you. The first day we came to you, you welcomed us. You, you loved us. You, you, you took care of us. And actually, after he planted the church, that church really gave him a lot of resources to travel and preach the gospel all over the area. And he says, I thank God for the help that you gave me. I'm so thankful. Let me ask you a question this morning. As Paul was remembering what they had done for him, let me ask you a question. What is it you've forgotten that other people have done for you? What is it that you've forgotten that other people have done for you? Remember, the longer you know someone, the more you take them for granted. I think this is another lesson that Paul's teaching us here. What have people done for you that you have never once even said, I'm so thankful for that. I think this is a challenge. This can boost our relationships with one another. And he says this, when I think of you, I thank God for you. What is he doing? He's choosing to have joy in this relationship. And when, when the terrible things happened when he was there, when a terrible thing happened, now he's in prison. And he says, I choose to give thanks. In other words, he's having selective memory. He's choosing to have selective memory. Now, many times, people have selective memory when it serves them well. It's kind of like selective hearing. Oh, I didn't hear you. Sorry about that. It was your choice not to hear. 
But this is a healthy exercise on good, selective memory. This was not a happy place for him when he wrote them. This was not all sunshine and lollipops and roses and unicorns and rainbows. It wasn't. There was no My Little Pony that he was given when he was there. I mean, this was a difficult time for him. There was a lot of bad stuff. But Paul chose not to dwell on painful memories. So here's my question. Are you still living some painful memories with people in your life? Have you really ever let them off the hook? Are you still holding on to that today? And you can't enjoy maybe relationships in your life and it's hard for you to, to, to ever, anytime you run into them or see them or, or, or think of them, there's no joy. Because you're still holding on to what is wrong in the past. Your memories, again, I told you this is easy to say, hard to do. Your memories are a choice. If you want to hold on to painful memories, you can. You have every right to do that. But you're not going to have joy. It's going to be the low-grade joy killer in the pit of your soul that robs your joy. Choosing to be thankful is the first step and will transform your relationships. Choose joy. Choose to be thankful. So not only do I need to be thankful for relationships in my life that Paul lays out. Secondly, you need to pray with joy for the people in your life. You pray for them. Paul is praying for these people. I mean, how would you like to have the Apostle Paul praying for you? I, I want some of that. I'll take some of that. Give me, yeah, go ahead, Apostle Paul. Pray for me. I, th- I think it would really help. This guy wrote most of the New Testament. And uh, you, do you know, when they, when, when they read this, imagine the Apostle Paul writing, I pray for you. They had to be thinking, hey, you know what? Paul prays for me. Paul is actually praying for me and encouraged them. And, and, you know, doesn't it encourage you when someone comes up to you and says, listen, I'm praying for you. Just so you know, I'm praying for you. It encourages me. Matter of fact, right now, this moment, in this service, there was a group of people who are gathered in a room on our campus here that are praying exactly and especially for you. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Actually, there's an intercessor team that meets first service and second service. They're not praying for anything. They're not praying for, they're praying for you. They're praying that God touches you, God changes you, God opens your heart. That They're praying if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, that God reveal himself to you. They're praying that the presence of God would fill this room. Aren't you thankful? Then that encourage you? It's good. For me, prayer. This, so this, this thing keeps me going. When people say, Pastor Jason, I'm praying for you. Man, I take that seriously. I feel encouraged. I, I feel loved. I, 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 that the reality that someone's praying for me, I go, that gives me confidence. Man, I could, someone else is praying for me, I'm going on. It's the power that I move on. And Paul says, in all my prayers for you, I, I always pray for joy. So he's praying for people, and then his position of prayers is prayers filled with joy. Do you, do you know... Why, just for a second. I want you to think of someone who irritates you. Don't look at them. Just think of them just for a moment. <laughs> just think of them for a minute. Maybe somebody you have a strained relationship with. Maybe somebody who, who has rubbed you the wrong way. I, I, I just have a couple questions for you. Here's the first one. 
When's the last time you prayed for them? Another question, instead of prayer, do you just complain and grumble about them? If you'd pray more, you'd have a lot less to grumble about. You'd have a lot less to complain about or nag about or nitpick about. So you can actually decide what you're going to do. You might say, yeah, but it's important I share my thoughts. It's important I just, you know, it's, it, listen, uh, you know, I'm, I'm prophetic. L- well, listen. Being prophetic does not give you an excuse to not have the fruit of spirit in your life. Just so you know. The Old, the Old Testament prophets, they haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have. Now act like it. Amen. Okay, here we go. But you, do you, you know what that means? Yeah, but I, I just need to share my thoughts. You, you know what that's also called? It's called complaining and grumbling is what that's called. It's murmuring. It's getting around and you have a little talk. You know, it happens all the time, especially in church. Here, here's the question. Does complaining and nagging work? No, it, it doesn't. Does prayer work? Okay. All right. So I think we should actually do more of the thing that works than the thing that doesn't work. That makes a lot of sense to me. Paul says, I pray for you. And we need to pray for the people in our life. And when we do, we begin to have deep joy down in our hearts and our relationships. Prayer is, here's the other thing. A lot of people use prayer to impose their will on other people. I hear it all the time. Well, I'm just, you know what, I don't like that. I'm just going to pray. It goes away. Like God's going to be like, oh, oh, what do you want? Excuse me, what do you want? Okay, I wasn't going to do that, but I will now because you want it. He's God of the universe. He wants his will done. And so this whole idea of prayer is not a tool for you to impose your will onto people and how you want them to change. That's not what prayer is. The purpose of prayer is not for us to form people into our own image. It's not. Or to get them to change even. The reality is this, none of us really want to change, but we want everyone else to change. And here's the the other idea, really a lot of times prayer can be a form of control and you know what, it doesn't work, but people use it as that. Here's the other thing is this, people get upset because people's behavior is not how they want it, and I understand that. There is reasons for that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But on a really, 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 really good day. I can control myself. What makes me think that I can control you? And we all know that. On a really good day, man, when I, I had my, my coffee, I slept good, got seven hours of sleep, I got my coffee in the morning, and my wife gives me a good kiss before I leave the house, and I feel loved, and I come to, you know, for me to come to church, and my staff, all, they give me all high fives when I come in. Oh, I'm having a good day. They don't actually do that. But anyway. And I thought, okay, now everything is aligned. I'm having a good day. And then one little thing happens and all of a sudden something in my heart goes, mm. That's on a really good day. I can control myself and some of my emotions and feelings. The reality is we can't control other people. Our human nature, though, is we want to change people in our lives. And here's the secret about the whole, this whole thing with changing people. Here it is. You can't change them. You can't do it. You can't change anybody. The only change that can happen is if they decide to change. The only change that can happen in us is if we decide 
to change. But here's the deal. But we can pray. And God can change people. And I'll talk in just a moment about how, how to pray then. The fastest way to change a difficult relationship to a good one is to start praying for them. It's the fastest way we can do that. It'll change you and it can change them. So start praying for them. So the question is this then. What do I pray then, Jason? You pray the four things that Paul prayed in verses 9 through 11. Here's what he says, verses 9 through 11. Let's read it. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of, right, fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and to the praise of God. This, this is the key here. There are four keys, quick keys that I'm going to look at real quick. Number one, what do you pray for people then? You pray that they grow in love. You pray that their heart, they're able to grow in love. Paul prays that your love will grow more and more. Pray that they will grow in love. Number two, pray that they will make wise choices. Pray that people in your life, in your family, your friends, your neighbors, pray that they will make wise choices. Paul says this, he prays this, that you will fully know and understand how to make right choices. Number three, so how do you pray for people in your life? You pray that they will live with integrity. Paul says, I pray that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ's return. Pray that they will live with integrity. What's the fourth thing? You need to pray, and we can pray, that they will become like Jesus. Guys, this is our agenda right here. We want an effective, powerful prayer life. This is our agenda. Parents, this is your prayer agenda right here for your kids. Husbands, wives, friends, this is our prayer agenda right here. Pray that they become like Christ. Verse 11 says this, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. These four things, you can pray them for me any day of the week. You can pray that I would grow love. Pray that I would, that I would make wise choices. Pray that I would live with integrity. Pray that I would become more like Jesus. And you can believe that they're going to happen in your, in your relationship's lives. You can pray these for yourself. Write them down. Pray these four every day over your family, over yourself, and you can believe that God's going to fulfill it because it's his will for them, for these things to happen in your life. It's his will. So when you pray the will of God, you begin to move and escalate things that moves quicker and bring things higher. Why? They're in the Bible, and God says we can pray them. Be thankful for people in your life. Pray and pray joyfully for relationships in your life without complaining, not with criticism like, oh, God, why can't you just change this person in my life? That's not praying joyfully. That's praying winefully and crankily and, and just pray joyfully. Have a sense of God's perspective and pray it over them. And, and, and these four things, pray these, and they will, they will totally revolutionize your relationships. The third key that Paul gives us for finding joy in our relationships is number three, expect the best from people in your life. Expect the best from people in your life. I love how Paul is, is, is speaking to them in Philippians 1.6. He says this, I, being, in other words, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is believing in God's power in their life, not their lack of power. Do you see that? 
He's believing what God is doing in their life, not what what the mistakes they're making in their life. This is a simple and hard thing to do, to trust God, but it's very biblical. We don't normally expect the best from people around us. It's just simple because they've let us down before, because we know that they're human. We know they're not perfect. But God expects God's purposes to be worked out in these people's lives. He said this, I am confident. Listen, when Paul says, I am confident about you, what does that do to you? It gives you confidence. It helps them not look at their shortcomings, but it helps them look at Christ's ability. Here's the question, the practical application question for us. Do you give the people in your life confidence or do you make them insecure? Do you give people in your life confidence or do you make them insecure? Do you build them up or do you tear them down? When you have an opportunity to speak to them, do you tell them what is wrong or do you tell them what is right? You might be thinking, well, Jason, I just tell it like it is. That's just how I am. Can I just tell you something real quick? It's just not helpful. When's the last time that, you, that you, something changed in your life because someone tore you down? Instead of telling it, if you, if you think, listen, how about this? Instead of telling it like it is, why don't you tell it like it could be? Why don't you begin to speak to them the areas of confidence? Listen, man, I, I see so much in you, and I'm just so grateful for what God's done in your life. Help them to see what could be in their life through the power of God in their life. Help them to see that and encourage them and strengthen them. Give them confidence. Paul says, I believe in you. This is for us as parents. This is very important. That so we lose that sometimes along the way of parenting, we lose track that actually I'm there to, to give them confidence that God can and will work his purpose in your life. I am confident that he who began a good these babies this morning, he who began a good work in them is faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. And that's the way it is in all of our lives. Do we help people see that? What God can do, or do, or we, do we find it as our kind of whole endeavor is to tell them what, what's wrong in their life? Paul says, I believe in you. I'm confident of what God has started in your life. He's, he's going to continue to do. And here's the reality. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect. And if you, you are expecting perfection in people before you, before you can enjoy your relationship with them, you're never going to be happy. And Paul says, I'm expecting the best, but I'm patient in the process of God. I'm trusting God's process. I'm not going to withhold. Uh, you know, uh, listen, I'd love you more, but there's still a bunch of junk in your life. He doesn't say, I'm confident you're going to make it. God doesn't wait. Thank God. God doesn't wait until you're mature to start loving you. He doesn't. So you shouldn't do that with others either. You've got to love them, scars and all. Brokenness and all, warts and all. You've got to love them. You've got to be patient with their progress. And this will give confidence to them and bring fresh joy in your life, in your heart, and in their hearts as well. We all need people to believe in us because it's how we change. The reason why you're here today is because God believed in you before you ever believed in yourself. 
He saw something in you that you never thought. He picked you up out of a gutter and he slung the filth off of your life. And he said, man, I see something in you. You're like, I don't think so. You said, he said, come on, I'm going to show you. He showed you what could be in your life. He believed in you. That's why you're here. Imagine a church that speaks life over each other. Who doesn't spend most of their time talking about what's wrong, what you don't like, what this is, and what that is. I would be guaranteed that if, I, if we were to put a microphone in many of the conversations that happen, especially in church people, it's all, well, can you believe that we do, we're doing this? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? What, how is that helpful? It's not. But what about this? Can you believe what God's doing? Isn't it great? I'm so thankful for what God is doing. I, 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 I'm, I'm so glad to be a part. I'm so, I, you know, I'm so glad for, for this relationship in my life. Yeah, I don't understand things that are changing, but that's all right. I'm, I'm thankful because I trust. I'm, I, I believe the best. I expect the best. I believe that God's will will be completed in this church because he's faithful to do so. We all need people to believe in us. I must be thankful for myself. For what God's done in me. I, many of us live in this cloud of like, man, we, we are, we're always, we feel like it's, it's our job to always speak negatively of ourselves. Listen, let's stop doing that. And this isn't just, just positive thinking. This is about positive praying. This is about praying God's will. Help yourself see what could be in your life through the filter of what God sees. And number four, which is a how to find joy. You choose to love people in your life. Like Jesus does. This is the biggest one of them all. This is easy to say, but you know, I'm telling you, it is hard, hard, hard to do. You know why? I'll tell you. Because you're not Jesus. You're not. And I'm not either. We are not the servant that Jesus is. And and just reality, we tend to look at our own needs And the things that have happened in our life, this is first. This is our filter. But the only reason why we can love people the way that Jesus loves others, because it comes from him. And Paul talks about this in verse 8. Listen to what he says. God is my witness that I tell the truth when I say that my deep love for you all comes from the heart of Christ Jesus himself. If you're not loving others, then you do not have the heart of Jesus. That's just the reality. And he says, man, how I love you comes from my heart. It's not from within me. This isn't because I, Paul, went to the school of love. No, no, he's saying this. I'm able to love you because of what Jesus, I'm expressing his heart through me to you. And the reality is this for me, like, I love you. I think of you all week long. I think of your families. I love your families. I want the best for you. I want the best. Our leadership prays for you. We believe in you. It's not because of me or us. It's because of Jesus' love for you through us. And I do pray for you, and I do believe in you. And it's an honor to serve you. But there was a love in my heart for you that is not from me. It is from God to you through me. Imagine all of us who say, God, give me some of that love. Help us to express that to you, to, to each other. Help us to honor you in our own lives, to our children, to our family. And here's the question. Well, how do I know then if I'm loving like Jesus is loving? And this is a tall order, but he can do it. We see it out of 1 John 3.16. He says this. This is how we know what love is. Christ gave his love for us. So then 
we ought to give our lives for others. This is what it means to love like Jesus loved. This is what it means to be people who believe the best. Love looks like something. It looks like something. And this is what it looks like. Man, I can't do this. I have to be honest. I can't do this. I, I, it's so hard to, Christ gave us, man, I, I'm selfish. Any other selfish people here? Just, just a couple of you? Okay. But through the grace of God, we don't have to live like mere humans. We don't have to live like mere man. We can live like kings and queens and princes in the kingdom of God. We can function from a different reality, which is God's love in us. And through as God set the model of what it means to love, he didn't set the model of what it means to be religious. Set this whole model. The same guy who wrote this wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternity. He gave. Then he says this. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to tell you what you're not. He came here to tell you what you could be. He came to save the world through himself. This is how we find joy in our relationships. We begin making a conscious decision. I'm going to be thankful for people in my life. And all of a sudden, joy begins to bubble up inside of us. I'm believing to expect the best. I'm believing to, to help people see what they could be. This is not some positive. What This is biblical reality, what Paul laid out in, in, in the first 11 verses of this incredible book of the Bible. That we would pray for people in our lives. Instead of talk about people, let's pray about people. Let's take on the nature of Christ. He came into the world not to condemn it. How many words out of your mouth are condemning that tear people down? How many words in your mouth that, 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 that you say just, just so you can tell someone where they're wrong? God doesn't want, God wants something different for us. I, I just, I, I want our church to be a church that loves so much like the Father. That people come here and people, man, they just loved me. They just cared for me. They didn't judge me when I walked in the doors. They weren't out to tell me what was wrong. They just, they loved me. They actually reminded me of what a real father is like, what a real mother is like. They brought me in. They, they took care of me. This is what God has for us. God's will for your relationships are to be filled with incredible joy, not perfection, but filled with joy. And I'm believing that for you, and I'm believing that for all of us in this, in our relationship as, as a church, and for us, you know, I, I just, I just got to be real with you just here for a moment. Some of the most hurtful, emotionally and spiritually stunting experiences happened in church for me. I grew up in church. This is all I know is church. All I know is church people. 
But you know what stands out to me along the journey? Yeah, that I'm able, to, I'm able to be thankful for people in my life, but things that, that almost was people telling me that I was doing something wrong. I'll just be honest with you. I, I, was, the, I was a worship pastor here at the church for a few years. And you know how many emails I got about I, one, I, one time I did something crazy. I wore a pair of jeans that had, a, had like a little hole right here. I know. Crazy. I know. You know, you know how many emails I received about how unprofessional and ridiculous I was as a worship leader? I, listen, I can say this because I've been there. I don't want, I do not want that spirit in our church. I don't want it. If you think, I, no, i got to do it, you can find another church. This church is going to. It's going to bring glory to the Father through our love for one another. It's going to do that. Our relationships matter. God has great joy for each and every one of you. I know you've been hurt in relationships, and I'm sorry. I know you've been hurt in church, and I'm sorry. I've been hurt in church too. I'm sorry it stinks. But by the grace of God, we're going to be filled with such overwhelming, compelling joy we're going to be able to break the cycle of legalism in, 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 in any person's life by loving people and pointing them to Jesus Christ because that's what true love is about. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.